I'm not into podcasts. Hello and welcome to the Not A Pundit Podcast. I am Killian Ginnity and I'm delighted to be joined by the almighty, all-knowing Nathan Byrne. Nathan, how are you doing? I'm doing very well, Killian. How are you? I'm great. I'm delighted that for once, both of our teams are in the news. Hence why we're doing this episode. Finally, Man United has done something worth chatting about alongside the mighty Sunderland. Yeah, it's not exactly uh, something that I'd I'd want to be talking about, but sure, whatever, aren't we? So we might as well. So let's pretend that our listeners haven't been paying attention to the sports news. What's been going on on the red side of Manchester? Same old, same old. In, in looking at, at United, uh, typical te- uh, team leaks coming out, which we've be- become accustomed to really at United, um, seeing managers get leaks put out in the media against them and stuff like that in the last um 24 hours 48 hours we've seen a number of leaks um saying that <clears throat> ten hag has lost the dressing room which is quite interesting and yeah it's it's led into that sort of uh big tobacco we had earlier yeah so like losing the dressing room has been often talked about with man united going back since Fergie left really every manager but like I don't know if it's just me but this has been the most Ten Hag has had the most consistent allegations of this since Mourinho now people expect it with Mourinho because he seems to like target a new player every year but with Sancho Maguire like Ronaldo um last year Ten Hag seems to have a little bit of form and yeah, is there any credence to it, or why has this blown up in particular? Because like we have been chatting about this for the last few months, really. Well, I think probably from the outside looking in, it does seem like there's been more when it comes to Ten Hag. Um, Ten Hag's had to deal with a number of more incidents, shall we say. But I do think it's been a consistent over the last really since Louis van Gaal there's, there's been consistent leaks in the media to uh, certain journalists and stuff like that that the club really haven't put a marker down and I think today we finally saw them put their foot down and go like listen this isn't on um, if you're going to publish stuff that are like quite quite serious allegations like in terms of quite serious in, in terms of football um that like listen, you have to come to us for comment first, and I, in my personal opinion, I think that's that's a fair stance to take. Well, this seems to be the part that's most different from any other time we've been chatting about this. Is they've banned journalists for basically saying something that they don't like. Um, I disagree with that. So just to add a bit more context, they. Mm. They banned Samuel Lookers from the Manchester Evening News. They banned Rob Dawson from um, ESPN. They banned uh, a Sky Sports, Sky Sports journalist and they banned a Mirror journalist today. Okay, um, now just, just let's clarify something before we go on. Is it a ban or were they disinvited? Or how, is it, and is it just the journalists or is it the outlets as well? Um, 
I like to me it seems it to answer the second one it's it's the media outlets, but to answer the first one it listen, I it, it doesn't matter what sort of name you put on it, they they, they got banned from today's press conference. Um these I are just journalists. mean like are they not gonna be allowed in future or is this oh, no. just kinda of a slap on the wrist? That that really hasn't like I haven't heard any uh anything past today's one that suggests that they will be at the next one or won't be. Um, it's just more this one that we really know the details on is they, they did get banned from this specific press conference. Um, and it, it does seem to be media outlet based. So Sky wasn't there. MEN wasn't there. ESPN and the mirror. Um, but to go back on what you originally said was, was it about them saying, something the club doesn't like. Um, this could be me being biased in whatever way, but I do feel like if you're going to publish something that, you know, needs to be really well-sourced and stuff like that, is the basics is you go and ask the club for a comment so they can add any additional context or give their opinion on it. Yeah, it, it's good etiquette to do, to do, like, give them the right to reply. Like, you can... As I've seen plenty of outlets do, you can kind of give them a uh, a timeline, kind of go and listen, give you twelve hours, so you didn't come back, or give you six hours, or. But especially if you're trying to keep in good with a team, like you don't, I think, for a lot of people, keeping in good with a team sounds as if you're gonna just peddle propaganda for them. Where in, I think it's more like clubs can handle and anybody can handle bad news or something that you don't necessarily like if it's being done in a reasonable way don't make accusations without evidence if it's something scurrilous well then allow us to kind of say our side of the story like but i think it it's just another media failing by man united like to let it come out and kind of let it come out in the way that it did it makes Man United seem more desperate and a bit more kind of on the defensive than they need to be, in my opinion. But do you, do you not think like part like this step sort of needed to happen? Like, um, I know like specifically in the last like, I say year specifically, there's been a good few stories that have been released around United that have had zero validity to it, and some have actually been proven to be untrue. So. Is it like not a time for the club to put their foot down and go like, listen, if you're going to print these, alle- not allegations, but like like um, big news surrounding the club, like saying that the manager's lost half the dressing room is such a huge thing to say. Is like, should you not go to the club and then ask for their input on it? And as you said, give a time frame around it. But these, these journalists did not. I think this proves that Sancho is the perfect Man United player because they just seem to go to the terminal nuclear option first. I think they, if they had a manager that had a bit more media savvy and a bit more of um, a wiliness to him, he would have came out first and kind of said, lads, that's just not true. Or come on now, I know you you print some bits that aren't 100% and I know that and you know that before doing any bans or like just put out a little notice kind of going, listen, these stories have gone out. We completely refute them. In future, please stop or we will have to 
look at our relationship with your outlet. I think just by going straight to a ban, if it was done under Fergie, it would have come across different because he had that kind of di- dictatorship hold. But with the way Man United has been over the last few years, and it's not just a figurehead thing, but there just seems to be so many leaks coming from that ship that it's coming across, at least to me as a like a non-invested layman, as a kind of a desperate last-ditch kind of... Like, it's very Glazer's behaviour, put it that way. Um. Yes and no. I do think, like, my personal opinion on it, and again, I am biased, is I think it did need to happen specifically with some of the journalists involved. Um, now, whether that's right to jump straight to a ban, I don't know, but Ten Hag came out in his press conference and said, we work, we try and work with these journalists very closely, which they do. The club have a great relationship with a number of journalists, and they go... Ten Hag specifically said he felt some of the journalists went behind their backs. Um, I and behind the backs was a bit of a weird comment to me for for a number of reasons. I think mm. it, it, it. I didn't expect him to say it, but he did. Um, but I do agree that if you're going to print these, you need to get them validated. Now the club might come out and go, "No comment on this," or "It's not true," but at least you've got that line. Um, but to go and go print it and then not ask the club for comment and then not expect them to have an opinion on it is, in my opinion, just sloppy journalism, I think. And who might say that? You know what I mean? But that, that's how, that's as a layman, that's how I take it. Oh, no, I get that. Like, it, it's, it, it's one of them kind of things you kind of expect from more local style journalists. It, like, we are in a, in a news round that is 24 seven long. So you're always trying to get the next angle or the next opportunity before anybody else. And I get that. And I appreciate that. I agree with what you're saying about they should be going to the club. They should. And I think that the ban itself isn't necessarily the wrong decision. I just think I'd have gone about it as wrong and that they're going to come off worse than they could have. Like, they've taken the option that hurts them more than it hurts the journalists more. Because what now they're kind of doing, it make like, if you were to be conspiratorial, it's kind of like, oh, I'm not going to, like, we've all seen it. Like, you're on social. It's always them journalists that are a little bit too in the know, but they'll never say anything bad. It's kind of going, oh, you're, you're, you're on the paycheck at the club or whatever, that kind of idea. And Ten Hag has kind of admitted that. And it's now kind of like, right, can you trust anybody saying something positive about the club anymore? Because are they doing that on the worry that they might get the ban next? Um, I know that's kind of a little bit probably OTT, but for a lot of avid fans and like, it's the same with like political journalists. Like you have the, the allegations are kind of going, Oh, you're too close to the TDs and all that or whatever. And it's that kind of idea of kind of going, is it better for you to, carry the party line than it is to kind of speak out and actually say something that is against the club but in the public interest just so that you can keep in with and stay around the club like I think it now opens them up to them kind of allegations which leaves them in a much worse position yeah I do think so to a certain extent I also think that 
the journalists did come out of it not looking too good. I know they received a, a good bit of backlash online, which, which, you know, everyone sort of expects that. Um, but I do think one of the big things is, and I I talked to some of my journalist friends and and Robbie from Not a Pundit. Um, the the thing is, it does come across a bit like like that's sort of day one journalism. If you get what I mean, it's like you. You go and get a comment if if you're writing a piece of something, or you at least offer the chance to comment on it. Um, now, I don't think they'll make that mistake again, but I do. I don't think it's it's a matter of fact that you can't write anything bad about the club. It's just you got to give them the chance to reply to it, which I think, in my opinion, is just 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 a fair fair way to go. Yeah, I just mean in terms of the fans. I think there might, I think some journalists now will come under more questioning from fans that aren't as willing to see the good side to the club. Like every club has with these fans that it's always negative and it's always the worst thing in the world. And the Glazers are the villains and Tanag is crap and the players are terrible. And this isn't the United of my day and all them kind of people. And it's kind of just adding fuel to their fire where it didn't need to. I think, I think it's just re, it's yet again United just being sloppy. Just they don't have, they just don't seem to either have the systems or the experience or the savviness to kind of go about these way these things in a way that will actually benefit them. Like if they came out kind of going, listen, we don't like this. We think clubs should be like they could be seen as forerunners for kind of going. No, we're going to hold journalists to account again. Like some of these guys are just rushing in to get their tweets, to get their interaction and forgetting the journalistic integrity. That's not how they kind of got, went around with this. Like one of them is kind of a, uh, a noble crusade. You kind of go, ah, you're making a bit of a mountain out of a molehill, but I get it. Whereas now they come across as petty. Yeah. I think there's two sides of the coins. I think the the specific journalists that are in question are, are what I would class as, journalists that would write things to get interaction on social media and stuff like that i've no problem saying that because that's that's my opinion on it um now that's what i like the thing with united is negativity sells sells in, in the dozen and and that's the issue with the club is a lot of these journalists have personal relationships with players where they get information and information leaks out and stuff like that and fans do take it Pretty, pretty like and in the last couple of years especially I've taken huge offense to that is like leaks coming out of the club is why are players speaking out against the manager like it happens at United like I don't even know if it really happens at other clubs at all I don't really see it as much but at United there's a huge culture of leaking to the media and talking to the media about the manager and the the way the clubs run and stuff like that and, and that's just not good for anyone in the restaurant Says a lot about the manager, though. Like you wouldn't see that happen in a Pep Guardiola team. Like Pep but, keeps them on a tight, tight leash. But Killian, it's happened to the to the last six or seven managers. Like it's it's not just ten, a Ten Hag issue. It's, which it's a which issue. one of them managers would you come back to, though? Like Van Hal, like he was a nutcase. Ollie was nice, but out of his depth. Jose always goes after players. David Moyes was the wrong man at the right man at the wrong time like but I, I, like, they're, they're not none of these appointments were the kind of guy that you kind of go do you know what the player's gonna fucking love this guy 
But but that's not an excuse for leaking to the media, is it? Because when you think about it, like, but that's the reality of the world that we're in. So yeah, yeah, the, like, but it doesn't if, if the club isn't hiring, why why is it happening at Manchester United? Because the the players and and the people surrounding the players, like whether that's their agents or family or stuff like that, is there's a huge marketability in Manchester United where people make money off negative news, and it, and it really does happen. And I think that's such a like such a big issue that the club and I don't know how they go about this, but it's something that they have to stamp out quite ba- badly. Is people selling, I selling stories and going to the media with stories is a is a huge issue, and I I do think it's something that you know the club really need to wake up to that that is happening, which they do know now, but um. Like it, it's not a manager issue; it's a club issue. Like this has happened for the last seven appointments. Like it's it's something that that needs to be stamped out quite quite seriously. And on appointments, Sunderland has the news that we've all been waiting for. Sunderland has sacked Tony Mowbray. Were you surprised, or was it even on your radar? I oh, know an absolute dreadful decision. You know, um, what what a. What a great job he done with Ahmed Diallo last season. Um, yeah, Ahmed Diallo said in the summer he'd happily come back to Tony Mowbray. Yeah, like, I, do, I think he's a Sunderland. really he's a really good manager dealing with young players. Um, to be honest, I think it's a decision that could come back to bite Sunderland um, quite heavily. Um, from what I've seen now, I know you've said things to me about like style of play and stuff like that, but. He seemed like a very settled manager and a manager that got Sunderland to a to a quite a healthy position. Whether he's the man that could push forward or, or stuff like that, I don't know. But it could have been jumping the gun too early. But in my like, only time can can really tell. What what's your sort of opinion on it? Well, I kind of think you hit the nail on the head. But I I don't think, or he was showing signs that he wasn't going to be the manager to take things forward. Like he did amazing last year. For context, um, just before the season started, Alex Neal left Sunderland to go to Stoke. Got a much better deal there. Alex Neal wasn't happy with the structure of Sunderland being um, director, director of football-led. Uh, we have a head coach. You you are given players. You play in a, or a way that's kind of agreed more than... Um, what you want so you're being brought in because you play a certain type of football as it should be and you get given players and you deal with that Mowbray was happy to deal with that and then he kind of wasn't so there seems to be in a bit of a an ever-growing rift now during the summer Carol Louis Dreyfus who's our owner and Christian Speakman who is um our director of football Speakman was at Birmingham he was the head of youth development there and brought through Jude Bellingham um, hence why we have Job. And uh, our owner, Louis Dreyfus, is only 26, but his dad used to own Marseille and he grew up around Marseille and was like a boot boy for Florian Tovan. So he's like a, an avid footballing head, um, but he's a businessman first and foremost. And their whole kind of ideology is to bring in young players on a good deal and sell them for bigger money and grow the club that way. Very organic, very self-sufficient. So in that kind of planning for the future, during the summer, it was kind of, I've seen a report as kind of, they were window shopping other coaches. And one of them being Faroli, who's now the coach at Nice, who were kind of flying high in legal. 
and bet um, PSG a couple of weeks ago, 3-2. It's a very good coach and he's been linked again. Um, and I don't think Mowbray particularly liked that. Now, I've seen some articles from Sunderland-based or Northeast-based journals about Sunderland and they're very against the ownership and the whole kind of structure, but these are the same guys that hired but Tony Mowbray. I, I think one thing we've seen is is this structure can work and it does work in the Premier League. We've got Brighton who are mm. really good at bringing through young prospects and, and eventually moving them on and stuff. I think Sunderland's issue is they're they're doing it in the championship and it's just like how long is it to bridge that gap until you can go into the championship or go into the Premier League is a, a matter of the fact that the only way you can really get out of the championship is by throwing money at the issue. Um, I think that could be certainly a thing. But to me, it seems like a bit of a weird timing to, to, to get rid of a manager. Um, I know you said they were window shopping in the summer, but it's either you... In my opinion, you pull the trigger in the summer, or you just let Mowbray have have a season. Um, I don't know what your opinion on that is. See, I think it's it's either one or two things. They either have somebody lined up that could be a deal under the table, ready to go, or like a short list, and like you don't pull the trigger without it being somewhat either one or the other being somewhat ready to go in some way, shape, or form, or which I find quite refreshing is they're being proactive. They're not allowing a rush to set in. So over the last few weeks, um, like Sunderland, none of Sunderland strikers have scored in the league yet. We have very young, um, as of yet, unproven strikers. And the game plan has seemed to be get it to Jack Clark and wait for him to do something. And I think with that coming up and with us now three points off playoffs having been in the playoffs last year on our season back to um league one uh from league one up to the championship that the ownership are possibly kind of going listen before we allow ourselves to fall down the table and for anything negative to get in let's just move on while everybody's happy do it a little bit early so that we're not allowing any negativity to set in because that was one of the big, big things with Sunderland for so, so long was like Lee Catamole and John O'Shea became these figureheads in the dressing room because they outlasted six managers, seven managers. And I think that's a really bad place to be in. Like when, was it Rafa Benitez went into Chelsea as an interim? I think it was Drogba and Terry turned around and said, listen, we run the dressing room. Like, we should never be in a position where that happens. And I think an ownership being proactive rather than reactive to that should only be really seen as a good thing. Like it's a, it's a very different way than Sunderland are used to. And I'm kind of excited about that. The timing but, is interesting though, interesting though. Like there's a busy Christmas period coming up where I feel like the ownership could come out of it looking very silly or very smart. You know what I mean? Like it's it's a huge period. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's it's a high high risk, high reward though. Like if they pull off a really good hiring now, it could fire us up the table, well into the playoffs, possibly push for an auto. Like I'm not expecting that, but if we can get somebody in soon, early window, I would be expecting. Say January second, third, fourth. Be a good birthday present for me to have a new a new manager in, and then just push on for a playoff push 
uh, it could be a masterstroke. Now, it could be to Ireland's benefit as well, because I would definitely take Mowbray as, as Ireland manager. Plays good football, likes the youth, loves a biscuit. Nothing wrong with the man. <laughs> but have you seen any of the names linked with the job? No, this is what I was going to ask you. I need, I need to know who's, who's, in, who's in the firing line now to, to possibly get the job. Okay, so I'm going to go for the bookies first, just because it, it's a much longer list. Let's let let's me... do bookies first, and then I want your top three, okay? Okay, well, the, see, there's the bookies, and then there's apparently the front runners. So 40 to 1, Steve Bruce, your man. Take him. Uh, 28 to 1, Neil Warnock. Jesus Christ. Um, 25 to 1, Nigel Pearson. It's not a great start, but we'll keep going. No, this is where things get fun, though. 20 to 1, Thierry Henry. Uh, don't see that happening. 20 to 1, Patrick Vieira. Then uh, Tw- that, I'd be excited about that. 20 to 1, Roy Keane. Box office. Um, 16 to 1, Farioli, uh, who is the niece manager. Not yeah. 14 to 1, Kevin Phillips, Sunderland legend. Yeah. 14 to 1, Frank Lampard. Jesus, I'd say far away. 12 to 1, Lee Carsley. You know, that could be a show. 10 to 1, Nathan Jones. Mm. <laughs> I don't think he, I think he's too much of an ego to deal with our structure. Yeah, ten to one, Graham Potter. Jesus, I love that? that man. Six to one, John Eustace. Three I mean, to one, Paul Heckenbottom. And was earlier one to one, Julian Sable, who is the assistant manager to Faroli at Nice. So when Lucien Fra- Favre. Yeah. When Lucien Favre left Nice, uh, Didier Degard was the caretaker, who was the former Middlesbrough uh, midfielder. But yeah. technically, Sable was because Degard didn't have the pro license, but Sable did. That's a bit of a that that would be a managerial. That'd be a very very Sunderland like. Bear in mind, this isn't what most people would think of Sunderland anymore. Like you, you've done the football manager save. We have signings from PSG. We have signings like really clever ones from West Ham. We're like getting the from Tottenham. Like we're picking off these guys that nobody really thinks of and yeah. making them do something good. So it would be very Sunderland now. But in the last few minutes, um, Talksport have tweeted saying that the two main names. Are on the, on the two person shortlist is Julian Sable, who seems to be the most realistic because of the other person being Will Still, Reams head coach and football manager legend, thirty one years old. His team had to pay twenty five thousand euro per game every time they played because he didn't have the pro license. Um, Twitter is was ablaze with that for weeks on end. But the compensation that they'd have to pay being the stumbling block. Ooh. It's all very exciting names, though, I have to say. Like, apart from like Heckenbottom and the usual kind of bookies flinging them in because, oh, he just lost a job this week. Like, Steve Bruce is in the list, but he's not close. Like, that's good news. Yeah, you know, you know, don't be surprised. Steve Bruce can pull out some, some, 
some master classes. You never know. Okay. <laughs> I I nearly crapped myself earlier. There's a Twitter account called Slow Sports News, and it's all branded up to look like Sky Sports News. And it came Sunderland in talks with um Steve Bruce <laughs> and a link. And it was like breaking news. I was like, oh my God, no. Oh, no, this, it, this, this can't be true. Click it. The article is from 2009. <laughs> <laughs> like, squeaky bum time does not cover it. And on that note, we have hit squeaky bum time and we are coming to the end of the show. Nathan, thank you so much for bringing us through the uh, United News as it is. Um, no better man, mm-hmm. no better man for the information on all things United. And I'm just delighted we got to talk about Sunderland for once. Um, you didn't answer this... my question. Oh? Who's your top man for Sunderland? Really? In Speakman I trust? I, whatever he thinks, I, I trust his judgment wholeheartedly. I would love with Will Still for the memes. It'd be great. Uh, Roy Keane would be box office. But like with our Ireland manager chat, either Lee Carsley or Graham Potter, like... I take either of them. Graham Potter being my first preference because I think it's the perfect structure for him. Like, yes, he'll have to get rid of the Chelsea money and he won't be on that money again. But like, where else is he going to get this reasonable size club in a reasonable level that will pay him decent wages, but has a really good young prospect team that you like to work with. You like to work with personalities. You're well used to working under a model of selling um, and buying young and with a director of football like it it just seems to be all made in his image so i, I yeah graham potter would be would be my choice it's i know it's very boring because i say it on most podcasts on any managerial position but i think he's very good <laughs> we, we've got it down here Killian. i think the listeners are well and truly glued up <laughs> <laughs> like listen like he went to sweden and he made it there like if you can do it on a yeah. on a snowy a snowy white uh, snowy night in Hampstead, <laughs> uh, he doesn't do it on a cold night in Chelsea, could he? So, either can Pochettino put it that way. <laughs> true, true. Um, but yeah, no, I think it's an interesting time for Sunderland, and I'm I'll keep a close eye on it. Yeah, you're you're gonna uh, keep a close eye so that it doesn't affect your the uh, the January update for Football Manager in case you go at them again. Yeah. But Nathan, thank you very much for joining us on uh, this uh, Tuesday evening, and thank you very much to our listener. And we will be back with another episode later on this week. You're getting double trouble. Oh, look at you. Chat to you then. Bye. I'm not into podcasts. Back of the net.